Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another podcast from fantasyfootballscout.co.uk. My name is David and today we're going to have a look at some of the key stats from Saturday's matches as Game Week 12 got off to a, I guess, predictably dull start. Now some of you might be out there sat there with very few points in your team. I've got seven at the moment at the time of recording, which is uh, of course uh, after the Saturday matches but before the Sunday ones. And if you haven't seen, actually, Az, who famously got 11 points last game week, is actually on 11 points again. But thankfully, we're at these sorts of numbers at the halfway stage of the game week, and we've still got a few left to go. However, with some of those games already played, there's plenty we can learn about game week 13. Now, appreciate we've got an international break coming up. We had some big games on Saturday. They still had some big impact on FPL thoughts moving forward. So let's have a quick look now at some of the key lessons that we learned from Saturday. So we shall start with Saturday's early kickoff, which of course saw Wolves beat Spurs in somewhat dramatic fashion. But the stats for this game were actually quite interesting because even though Wolves didn't actually get either of their goals until stoppage time, and of course won the game 2-1, they actually outperformed Spurs for a number of metrics uh, in this match. The first of those, of course, was uh, the big one, XG. Uh, the final score on that one was 2.15 for Wolves and 0.70 for Spurs. So despite Spurs leading for pretty much the whole match, um, it very much uh, shows that Wolves deserved to win the game, which, of course, uh, is an interesting uh, development this season because we've, we've known Spurs to be um, a really good team for getting results, getting us fantasy points, but it wasn't to be at Wolves on Saturday. And, uh, of course, probably is going to be some mitigating factors about that, which probably seem fairly obvious but we'll talk about them uh, in just a second before we go uh, any further I'll just go through some of the um, more player specific numbers so uh, the most persistent shooters in this game were Lamina and Cunha of Wolves three shots apiece the only Spurs player who had more than one effort on goal was Brennan Johnson he had two and we also had eight Nori, Totti and Jao Gomez all with two shots apiece what that meant for the total uh, efforts in this game Wolves of course 17 shots uh, on goal, Spurs with just the six. Ten shots in the box of Wolves, just three for Spurs. Four big chances for Wolves, and only one uh, for Spurs. Uh, and so in terms of shots on target, Wolves won that battle as well, four to two. Uh, any key creators from this game? Well, again, Wolves players, uh, as uh, you would expect from some of the wider numbers from this game. So eight Nori and Cunha were the two most creative players. Four chances created uh, by the Moroccan defender, and then Cunha. 
with three key passes of his own. The only Spurs player to create more than one chance was Pedro Porro, which may, of course, be of some um, you know, uh, comfort to those that, that still have him, uh, of course. But yeah, interesting uh, situation for Spurs going forward. Lots has changed in recent weeks. Uh, of course, they lost 4-1 uh, to Chelsea, which many would say was triggered by those uh, by those red cards. But of course, those suspensions are going to uh, impact their team for a little bit longer. One of them was for three matches. One of them was for one. And of course, the big one, of course, is that Madison is out probably sometime until the new year. And already what we're seeing is pretty much an instant impact uh, at both ends of the pitch for Spurs, really, with some of those absences. The defensive ones, less concerning because they will come to some kind of an end when those suspensions expire. One of them already has anyway. Um, but the games we've got coming up, Villa at home, uh, next time out, Man City away, West Ham at home. All of a sudden, you look at those games, uh, if you're perhaps a Son owner, because Madison owners probably got rid this week, and you think, hmm, I'm a bit concerned now for those games. Uh, what I had a look at was Spurs uh, as a team uh, in game weeks 1 to 11, and compared it with how they got on in game week 12. And of course, the, the mitigating factor here uh, about it being Wolves um, in many ways actually kind of makes it a bit more concerning because whilst Wolves have been overperforming this season, Gary O'Neill, by the way, seems to be like the new Neil Warnock, you know, the guy that can come in and do the almost impossible job of keeping up a squad of players that looks like they're destined for relegation. But they haven't exactly necessarily been setting the world on fire. Like they haven't been a high XG chance creators this season. They're, of course, without Neto, which uh, we all thought would damage their appeal, uh, for example. So, you know, it's no disrespect to Wolves to say that the fact that these numbers from a Spurs team that has been top of the league for, you know, bits of this season. Um, it's no disrespect to say that the Spurs team recording this sort of comparison, which I'm about to go through against Wolves, kind of just drives the home point home a little bit more in terms of how they're going to suffer uh, without the defensive players in the short term, without Madison in the longer run. So between game weeks 1 and 11, uh, Spurs were uh, producing 16.9 uh, shots on goal per game, but they had just six efforts on goal uh, at Wolves. In terms of what they were doing in the box, they were producing 10.5 shots in the box per game. That dropped to just three against Wolves. Uh, attempts on target, 6.1 per game, just two against Wolves, 2.6 big chances, just the one against Wolves. So yeah, huge, huge drop. The shot accuracy also dropped from 36% to 33.3%. So yeah, the drop-off in the numbers here, vast in pretty much every instance um, with all of them. The only one that, that, that has dropped by, the, the one that's dropped by the least amount is big chances from 2.6 down to one, but that's still uh, basically a drop of, a, of over 50%. So yeah, it's, it's very, very obvious from anyone who watched the game, from anyone who followed it, and also if you didn't have a chance to follow it and you just kind of need some updates on how it went from the numerical perspective, yeah, Spurs without Madison really struggling, which, as I said at the beginning, seems obvious, but it's worth noting that that is the case right now. So um, people with Son owners probably a little bit concerned. I've seen a few Son owners out there thinking, hmm, Son without Madison, is he going to be as effective? Well, yeah, just one shot from Son in this game outside the box. wasn't a big chance, wasn't on target. Uh, and that's below his numbers this season. And typically, he has statistically performed better away from home uh, anyway, because he is a player who is best at exploiting space behind defences um, and kind of taking advantage of the fact that when they're away from home Spurs, they're usually facing teams that aren't necessarily always sticking everyone behind the ball um, and trying to defend from deep. And, and the thing is, Wolves, 
very persistent in this game. So it's, Wolves came out of their shell a lot. So, you know, even in spite of that, they just couldn't get Son, um, you know, doing his best work in this game. And in all likelihood, it's probably because Madison wasn't there. Now, Lacelso was talked about as as the, the best like-for-like replacement. He only played 23 minutes. He had one effort on goal uh, and didn't create any chances. So, you know, there is a there is a huge void there in, in the team, which in many ways we already knew was there because we always said Spurs had never really replaced Ericsson in the last few years. Madison is the closest thing they've had to an Ericsson for a long, long time. And yeah, uh, the next three months, is, I think it's going to be a challenge. The only player who perhaps we might want to consider, uh, he's been talked about a little bit on the General's Orders podcast, because of course he's in, he's in contention for Sonny Soldiers, uh, with the word Son in his name, is Brennan Johnson, who um, came in for this game because Richarlison is also out, which we haven't really talked about actually, but yeah, he's also out as well. Uh, but it is advantageous for Johnson, who does seem to keep popping up with attacking returns when he's involved. Now, he got two shots uh, on goal uh, in this game. He was the most persistent Spurs shooter. He was the Spurs player who had the highest XG in this game uh, and got a goal, of course, in the third minute, uh, which means that he now has attacking returns in two of his last three. Um, and he's only that, that was only his fifth start of the season. Uh, we would expect him to be starting a lot more games in the absence of Richarlison, who's also got this injury. So while the team may suffer, um, let's keep an eye on Brennan Johnson, who seems to be able to get something uh, when he's when he's in and around the team and will be starting games more. So it's definitely worth keeping an eye on him. Moving on to the three o'clock games, we'll, of course, start with Arsenal against Burnley. Of course, alphabetically it comes next, but also of the three games that happened at three o'clock, do feel this one is the most important one from a fantasy perspective. And interestingly enough, I do actually need to start this with an apology to Vincent Company. I, going into this game, uh, said that Arsenal should annihilate Burnley. Those were the specific words I used on uh, a couple of videos uh, in the last few days. Based on the fact that Burnley, I hadn't seen them yet really do much work in terms of sticking people behind the ball and attempting to defend in numbers when they play anybody, um, which I always felt was what they were quite good at doing in games against bigger teams under Sean Dyche and with company turning them into more of a possession-based, almost Man City-style inverted fullbacks, you know, high-press uh, kind of team in the championship and, you know, very much a declaration as they came up that that wasn't going to change in the Premier League. That had me thinking, okay, we're going to be targeting this team for goals against them pretty much every week. And it has been effective up until now because company hasn't really done this very often. However, they did come to Emirates Stadium on Saturday and they actually did a quite a good job of stifling Arsenal um, and sitting deep and defending in numbers uh, to the extent that, um, you know, um, most of the first half, um, you know, they... they they held out and it wasn't until um, first half stoppage time, of course, that Arsenal went in front, which is, you know, unfortunate timing for them in many ways because, you know, they were just a few moments away from being able to go in nil-nil at half time. And that probably would have given them quite a big lift going into the second half. Um, you know, they still had a few opportunities themselves and they were actually level in the first half, first part of the second half. But it didn't last very long, of course, Arsenal in the end, the quality showed out and they went on to win but this was one of the the better defensive performances from Burnley away from home and so yeah it just has me thinking hmm, okay maybe moving forward they're going to be inclined to do this more often than perhaps we originally thought learn their lesson from some of the things that have gone on so far this season probably going to see this more like uh, likely to happen for Burnley away from home than we are at home I think uh, I was looking, having a look actually when I was doing my transfers on Saturday morning at, at Burnley Goals they concede at home because uh, I, I actually signed Bowen in the end as my Madison replacement and he's going to Turf Moor next week. Burnley are more susceptible to conceding goals away from home 
because of course that's where they're more likely to try and play some football and get caught out so um for now i think away from home we can maybe expect them to try this type of football in some of these games and it was you know it was semi-effective as well i mean there was people out there who captained uh, martinelli of course from this game ended up blanking you know there's, there's some interest in arsenal attackers and i think a lot of people would have expected a bigger score line i think they would have expected arsenal to score much sooner than the 46th minute for example so you know, as I said, kudos to Burnley for being able to sort of um, prove some of us out there wrong with the way the team played. However, Arsenal, of course, did get the job done and there were some fantasy winners here, which is definitely worth talking about. Um, well, I mean, we'll start with Saka, who probably doesn't feel like a winner. If you've got Saka and you captained him, just one assist again feels like, you know, it's underwhelming. Um, this is actually the first opportunity I've had to be on any kind of uh, content since uh, those decisions. And so if you uh, were, you know, waiting on hooks to find out what I did with my team, uh, apologies uh, for that. Just been a busy few days. Um, I actually in the end didn't captain Saka and that was more to do with um, the injury flag on him going into the game. I just felt that there was a possibility that he doesn't play at all. And I wanted to be in control of who my captain was. So in the end, I went with uh, Haaland, uh, having seen the way Chelsea defended. Um, against uh, Spurs before the sending off. I kind of feel like there's maybe an opportunity for Haaland there. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Um, I still had Saka, and I was still hoping for big things from him because not everybody's got him. So I would have, having moved away from the Saka captaincy, had he got a hat-trick, I wouldn't have been unhappy because that still would have got me a big green arrow from what I could see from live appeal on there. And yeah, feel a little bit disappointed to come away with an assist from this game, uh, having watched a bit of the highlights and of course having a look at some of the numbers uh, as well. Um, you know, Saka came close to scoring in the first half. Um, he also um, could have got an assist if Havertz did better from a corner, for example. So there were other opportunities where Saka could have maybe come away with, you know, two or three attacking returns from this game. And when we look at the numbers, it's a return to Saka being what we want him to be, which is someone who's consistently having efforts on goal, consistently creating chances. We'd seen a downturn in his numbers, just one shot in the three games prior to this one. But he finished the game at the Emirates Stadium, joint top for shots on goal, level with Trossard and, funnily enough, Gabriel. Um, two shots in the box, only Trossard in this game had more efforts in the box than Saka. Um, only one effort on target, admittedly. So it's not, you know, um, you know, back to the best levels that we want. But the persistency is, is back, at least for now, which is important. So it's one effort on goal, but not actually those players in this game had loads of efforts on goal on target, um, I should say. Um, Rodriguez and Trossard were the only two players with more than one apiece. Distribution was also looking good for Saka as well. He was the top creator in this match. Three key passes, two of them were big, so he was top for both of those. And in terms of expected goal involvement, uh, he was in the top three as well. Um, Trossard and Saliba also joining him in the top three. So, um, yeah, firstly on Saka, yeah. Um, if you've got him, he feels like uh, a probable hold uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, Brentford away, Wolves at home, Luton away in the next three. The Brentford game's not amazing, but Wolves and Luton, if Saka can just keep this form up, great. Um, he, uh, I think, is in the England squad, so as long as he doesn't get injured there. <laughs> and as we always say, uh, we've said on a lot of videos, it's not just me, a couple of, the, of our contributors have said, he's basically got to be borderline dead for him to not play, so... Once again, we have con uh, continual proof that even when there is a slight doubt around Saka, he's very likely to just start the game and look like the best player on the park anyway, because he's just incredible, absolute beast. So, yeah, uh, uh, bittersweet Saka uh, updates from this game. Didn't get as many points as he should have done, but actually the fact that he um, looked good and came away from this match probably underperforming 
uh, from an FPL perspective is better than him coming in and and kind of performing in line with with his xG in terms of like having done nothing which is what we'd seen of late so it's a, it's it's the right signs of improvement that we want to see from Saka and, that, and that's good so we, we have to be Saka owners I think we have to be semi satisfied with that Saka captain is probably won't be um but yeah it, that's what we wanted to see we wanted to see a bit of improvement from Saka now, we do have to talk about Trossard, who was um, seen as a bit of a punt from this game um, because, of course, a few injuries uh, in the front lines means that he was more likely to get involved in this one. He came away with a goal and assist. And he does. He at the end of last season, he was the player that had the most attacking returns between, I think, game week 30 and the end of the campaign for Arsenal, despite not actually starting all that many games. We knew that when he was given the opportunity to start games, he was going to do something. He actually started up front in this one with Martinelli on one side, Saka on the other. Um, looked very, very good. Already talked about some of his numbers in this game. He was in the top three uh, for some some important stats like shots and shots in the box and, of course, expected goal involvement as well. The question then becomes how long can we actually trust him to start in the team? And, unfortunately, with this being the last one before an international break, it does make life a little bit harder because, of course, there is opportunities now for Nketiah and Jesus to get back to full fitness. Nketiah didn't start this one because he wasn't deemed fit enough to do so, but he did come on in the 81st minute, got nine minutes. He came on, of course, for Trossard. So Trossard, uh, you know, is going to have to still compete with Nketiah, who obviously is fine again now uh, because he was involved in the game. So he did have a flag in FPL uh, that, of course, uh, has now been taken off because he was involved in this game. He's got a couple of weeks uh, to recover um, and in, in terms of full match fitness to be involved. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, um, he has a hamstring injury. He may come back. Uh, he's got two. Well, he's got two weeks now to recover, and that might be enough to get the bulk of the work out of the way. So it's going to be difficult to be too excited about Trossard moving forward in terms of how often he's started. This was actually Trossard's first and only league start of the last four. Um, and it was the most minutes he's played all season. His previous most minutes played was 66 minutes away at Everton in game week five. Now, he did score in that game. <laughs> so when he does play more than 60 minutes, which he's only done twice, he does score. And, and as I said, we know that when he's on the pitch, he is very effective. He was very, very good in terms of his per 90 stats in the last season. It's just that he's also capable of 11-minute cameos in the 1-0 defeat against Newcastle, a 24-minute cameo in the 5-0 win against Burnley, against Sheffield United, sorry, where he got no attacking returns. You know, he, he is capable of doing that. 45 minutes against uh, Fulham. Started that game, actually. Came off at half-time. No attacking returns. So he is still capable of that. It's very boom and bust. Now, he was a good option for this one because you could sort of, you know, be fairly confident he was going to start based around the team news that we had going into this one, but we're not always going to be blessed with that information. So it makes it difficult to be able to... Um, push him forward as someone to consider at the moment. Let's go to Selhurst Park now, where unfortunately those of us who doubled down on the Crystal Palace defence, that's me, I uh, signed Johnston this week as my Flecken replacement to go with Anderson in the hope of getting a clean sheet here. Um, I feel I feel really annoyed with myself because it made some sense, but I was nervous about this one because Everton have started to you know really get going this season and they have been scoring goals when we don't expect them to. And it took them just one minute. It took them just one minute to bust that clean sheet at Selhurst Park with Mikalenko getting the opening goal. And yeah, they scored three in the end. And uh, the thing the thing that sort of um, leaps out at me from this game is they didn't actually they didn't win the XG battle here. So it was 2.17 for Crystal Palace, 1.53 for Everton. So first things first, 
I think we can't really see a Crystal Palace as a low-scoring side anymore now that Eze is back. I think kind of anticipated that really um, he really does make the team tick. So good XG from him for this one. But also Everton are just getting very, very good at doing the job. They are very, very good at um, playing direct football and not necessarily you know, being the team in the game that controls it um, in terms of the possession or the, even the team that persistently is having efforts on goal. And the numbers really demonstrate that quite well. So it's about understanding that it's not about the quantity of efforts, it's about the quality as well. You should always look when you're looking at numbers, looking at the quality of shots. So Everton in this game, 32% possession and they won. Um, and, you know, when you consider that they had just eight shots on goal to Crystal Palace's 13, five of them were in the box and Palace had double that with 10. Palace created two big chances, but Everton created three and they all went in the back of the net. And that basically is Sean Dyche football down to a T. You know, you don't create as much as the opponent. You don't even really control the game. You just hit at the right moment and that's what they did and we have to be wary of that moving forward and they, they've had some good results of late and this is why I'm annoyed with myself because in a way I've kind of seen this coming and you know um, despite that I still decided to double down on the Palace defence I was trusting their defence too much now their defence moving forward you've got Luton away next and then you've got Bournemouth at home in 15 so those two games in particular it's definitely not the worst thing in the world to have um, him and your team uh, Sam Johnston that is um, he did only get one save in this game. So, unfortunately, this is one of those games where it's like Everton weren't going to offer him the opportunity to get much saves because they don't have too many efforts on goal. Um, I'd like to think that other teams will trouble him a little bit more when he's got the harder games. But anyway, I digress. Everton's recent results, what have they been like? Well, you know, they drew one all with Brighton. Uh, they beat West Ham away from home, uh, for example. So, they are, and, you know, they won 3-1 away at Brentford. That's when things really got going for them. That was in game week six. So, we know this team is capable of going away from home and causing problems. And so, when we look at who they're playing in the next few weeks, well, they've got Man United at home next, they've got Forest away, Newcastle at home, Chelsea at home. You know, you may you may well look at, if you've got players from those teams and when you see Everton on the season ticket, you're sort of preconditioned to think, easy fixture for my defence and my attack. We have to, we absolutely have to remove that um, that assumption now. We've been talking about removing that assumption for several weeks, but this right here, pardon the pun, crystallizes it, uh, to be honest. So, yeah, we just have to be wary of Everton and what they can achieve. And I've been thinking about investment in their team for a while. Their fixtures aren't good enough yet, but when they are, maybe. Um, defensively, they could be worth some investment in a rotation between game week 17 and uh, 22 when they've got Burnley away, they've got Wolves away and they've got Fulham away. Three of the games in that six run, six game run, a defensive rotation of a Mikalenko or a Tarkovsky or, or something could be quite effective. So it's definitely worth keeping an eye on, on that um, idea. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's kind of the main takeaway from this game from uh, an Everton perspective, um, from a Crystal Palace perspective, as I said, with Eze back in the team, we are seeing Palace with their mojo back, which is good. Um, Eze ha only had two shots on goal in this game. Uh, both of them were in the box, though. One of them was a big chance, two of them on target. And of course, of course, one of them was a penalty kick. So him being back. And on the penalties, perfect. But also his return to the team, also good news for those around him as well. He was um, the second, he was joint second best for creativity for Palace in this match. And what we saw from Edouard was six shots in the box, uh, six shots on goal, five of them in the box. One of them was a big chance, two on target. So a little bit wasteful, but very persistent. And so 5.5 million. Good numbers um, so far in terms of persistency. Good fixtures as well. Eze back in the team is good. But also, Elise back on the bench and play 32 minutes. So 
Palace are getting their best players back from a defensive perspective. So just going back to these assumptions about Everton, you have to have to make sure you're not looking at Palace on a season ticker and thinking that is an easy opportunity for a clean sheet anymore because Eze and Elise are back in town. And that is really big for the Eagles. So finally, we've got two more matches. We had Manchester United beating Luton 1-0 at Old Trafford, and we saw a very big shock result, Bournemouth getting a 2-0 win over Newcastle with two goals from Dominic Solanke. Now, I'm not actually going to talk about these games in too much detail because I think there's a lot of mitigating circumstances that kind of limit the lessons we can learn here. We'll start off with Man United against Luton. Yes, Man United won the game. Yes, it was you know good to see um, some fantasy assets out there get attacking returns in this one. However, a home match against Luton kind of knew this was going to happen. I don't think we are necessarily at a place where we can say, oh, do we need Man United players now? Good result. Everton away next. But remember, guys, that's not an easy fixture. <laughs> Uh, and then they got Newcastle, Chelsea uh, as the two games after that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm not sat here feeling like I need to be too reactionary to that United game. So if you want a bit more information on that, if you want to have a look at some of the numbers from it, if you've got Fantasy Football Scout membership, then head to the members area, go to the matches section, head to Game Week 12, have a look at the match data from that match. If you haven't got your membership sorted, head to the website, get yourself a package that's uh, right for you and get 20% off uh, at the moment, which, uh, yeah, hopefully is going to be helpful. And yes, the Bournemouth game. A shock result, yes. But in many ways, um, uh, Newcastle are really down to their bare bones. So I suppose, I sa I'm saying this more to myself, maybe we shouldn't be too shocked that um, the season is really catching up with Newcastle. Now, the flags they currently have, Dan Byrne, he's out till January. Sven Botman, he's got a knee injury. We don't know when he's back. Um, Matt Target, he's got a hamstring injury. He's out till February. Um, Almiron's got a yellow flag from his hamstring. We've got Jacob Murphy, not back until January. We've got Elliot Anderson, not back until uh, the 23rd of December is the current estimate. We've got Harvey Barnes out till the end of the year. We've got Tonali out for the whole season. He's suspended for some off-the-field issues. Uh, Isak is not expected back until later this month. Wilson also has a yellow flag as well. And so they really are down to their bare bones. And in this one, what we saw was, of course, Anthony Gordon um, playing uh, in a nice attacking role. But with a lot of those players missing, it did impact what they were able to achieve in this game. So despite the fact they were going away to one of the, one of the worst defensive teams in the Premier League so far this season, very much in the bottom three for all of the defensive data so far this campaign. They were also in the bottom five for that, those same numbers over the last four. So it's season form and recent form. This Bournemouth defence was primed to get destroyed. And that's not all we saw. Bournemouth absolutely dominated this game from an offensive perspective. Uh, they didn't have uh, as much possession as Newcastle, but it wasn't it wasn't you know far apart. 47% possession for Bournemouth, 52% for Sorry, 47.4% possession for Bournemouth, 52.6% possession for Newcastle. But 19 shots for the hosts, 15 of them in the box, three big chances, 10 on target. Newcastle had just eight shots, so less than half, four in the box. So again, basically, less, well, way less than half. It's almost a quarter of how many efforts in the box. Bournemouth had no big chances, five shots on target. And so... From those numbers, it's just no surprise that Bournemouth came away as deserved 2-0 winners. Slanke um, was uh, the most effective in terms of the uh, expected goals. 1.27 goals he expected to be involved in. Uh, he had four shots on goal, four of them in the box, two big chances, two on target. Um, the most uh, effective Newcastle attacking player, well, we had Matt Ritchie with a 65-minute uh, appearance. Two shots, 
one in the box, and he was level with Sean Longstaff. He played the whole game, two shots, one in the box. And you had, uh, yeah, three Bournemouth players that outperformed those. They, those two Newcastle players I mentioned, they were the only ones to have more than one effort uh, on goal. Now, Newcastle have been worse away from home than they have been at home this season, but this is quite unnerving in terms of what's left at Newcastle in the wake of this humongous injury crisis. And so it does make me a bit nervous about investment in their players moving forward. I'm now not thinking about... Um, I don't feel quite as naked without a Newcastle defender at the moment because of the way they've defended in this one. Um, their fixtures are kind of not amazing. This one was the nice one of the next few. So Chelsea at home, game week 13. United at home, game week 14. Uh, Everton away, game week 15. That's a hard game now, as I said. Spurs away in game week 16. So the next four, you know, if you don't have a Newcastle player, and I don't think off the back of this uh, and the injury crisis they've got and the fixtures they've got, I don't think you need to be scrambling to get a Newcastle player in. Um, I can understand if you signed Gordon this week because this was a plum fixture, but I think we were all quite taken aback by just um, how impacted Newcastle have been by their by their injuries. So, yeah, um, quite a concerning one uh, in that regard uh, for, for, for them for, from that perspective. And then for Bournemouth, well, let's just see. Solanke has had the opportunity to do well in recent seasons. How much of this was Newcastle being bad? It's hard to say. Um, in fact, I don't even know what Bournemouth's fixes are, so I'm just going to double-check what they are now. They really have been off the radar for some time. Well, they actually do have Sheffield United next, so maybe if you want uh, a nice little one-week punt, then uh, Dominic Sanke could be worth a shout. But then it's Villa at home, Palace away, um, United away, before you then get to Luton at home, Forest away, Fulham at home. That maybe that run there in game week 17 is maybe when you might think about a um, Bournemouth player. But for now, I think we'll probably keep them off the radar, if that's okay with you. Now, that's uh, everything that I've got for you um, on this uh, halfway point of game week 12. Um, although, obviously, a lot of these numbers will still be useful for you if the, you're listening to this um, after the Sunday matches, because, um, of course, you've got the international break coming up. We'll still have plenty of content, so keep an eye on the channel. Um, and, yeah, we'll have plenty of things out. Hopefully you found this helpful, um, and uh, if you haven't uh, subscribed to the YouTube channel as well, where you can also get video versions of a lot of these podcasts, then please do so. The more, the merrier, and you can, of course, join us for some live streams. Get in the comments and ask some questions as well, and maybe get the answers you want from some of our contributors. So make sure you go and uh, join in there and join the fun. But with that, I shall leave you fine, folks, to enjoy the rest of your Game Week 12 or the rest of your international break, depending on when you listen to this, and I shall see you next time. Goodbye.